0: All right, well, um, we started something last week. I'm going to have Caitlin throw uh, the number up on the screen. And uh, and we're going to try this. We're going to see what happens. First service, we got a question. I'm going to give you that question once I get to that portion in my message. Um, but as I'm speaking today, if we come across something that you've just, something comes to your mind and you're like, I'd like some clarification about this or I, I wonder about that, Uh, feel free to just text me. I've got uh, my phone here. Uh, You can text it in and to that number right there, and I will do my best to get to it. I may not get to it right in the middle of the message, but I may come back at the end and try to answer that question for you. Uh, But we want this to be a time where Uh, this isn't just me assuming that everybody knows what I'm talking about, uh, that even if you're watching online, you can participate in this and and send us in a question as well. So I want us to take a look at Matthew chapter 9. Um, Jesus, when he began his ministry, really spent a lot of time in the Galilean area of Israel. He uh, wandered from town to town. He, he, as he went from town to town, he was performing miracles, and uh, one of his first miracles was turning water into wine. Uh, was the first miracle at a wedding, and uh, and then ended up uh, doing other miracles as well. And and every town that Jesus went to and taught, he was gaining in popularity. He was like the first influencer, right? I mean, he was he was the one that was going to all of the. Most of you like, well, I don't know what that means. Um, he would go to town to town, and people his the get the the crowds would just get larger and larger, and. And and his ability to influence and tell stories of of this upside down kingdom that he came to establish and and we pick it up in uh, Matthew chapter nine and in verse thirty five and I just want you to kind of hear the language of what's taking place because imagine if you're one of the disciples imagine if you're Matthew and you're you're going from town to town with Jesus and and he's He's teaching these masses, and the crowds are growing. And, and all of a sudden, you're standing there, and you're watching Jesus. And, and this is what Matthew's recollection of Jesus is in this moment. He says in verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their churches, in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Imagine walking with Jesus through these towns, his reputations growing. People were coming by the thousands to hear him, to be prayed for by him. And these people that were showing up, these aren't like the movers and shakers of the time. These are just regular, everyday people like you and me. (laughs) And even if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not as regular as you are, Pastor Ryan. Like, uh, like, you're probably more regular than you think. Like, we're 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 just regular folks trying to live this life and this understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower and live our life on mission and and be a reflection of Jesus. Like, we're just regular everyday people. There's nothing uh, amazing or or special. There's just it's just that's just us, and that's who these people were. These people that were showing up, they were just regular, everyday people. In fact, Matthew kind of gives us a little bit of a glimpse as to how the disciples would respond to these crowds of people. It almost seemed at times that they were kind of a nuisance, right they uh, they would uh, gather around, and it's like, oh no, they got to be fed and and then they would or they would like kind of the the children would want to come and, and and get close to Jesus, and the disciples are like, Not now, kid, like get away and and they were, the disciples were always kind of trying to control the situation and, and trying to keep the, the crowds away from Jesus. And Jesus' response and, his, and the picture that he's about to show us is just this clear picture of, of being like, no, you guys are missing it. You don't get this. I'm actually here for those people. I'm, I'm here to connect with these people, to pray for these people, to, to teach these people. That's why I'm here. I remember the story of the woman who, um, she has a disease of the blood, and she's she, she just knows, just has so much faith that if she could just touch the garment of Jesus that she would be healed. And and I see this picture, uh, and, and this is my picture, so you might have your own picture, but of this woman just trying to press through the crowd. And if you've ever been through a crowd, and most of us haven't been in a while, but when, when you're trying to get in through the crowd and you're trying to elbow your way and the disciples are just kind of around Jesus protecting him and she just kind of reaches over and touches it or falls to the ground and touches it and, and she's healed just like that. These people that were trying to get to Jesus, it says, that, it says in Matthew that they were harassed and helpless. And Jesus responds to these people in three different ways. And, and I think that these three things are something that you and I ought to look at. And maybe it's three things that Jesus is really modeling for us and what it looks like to be people who live their life on mission. The first thing is this, it says that Jesus saw them. He saw them. He wasn't annoyed by them. He didn't see them as maybe even some of the disciples saw them as a nuisance. He saw them. As I share that statement, he saw them, I I think of of two different things. It's, my perspective is a little bit um, uh, dual in, in my understanding. See, when I, when I read that and I, I, I see that Jesus saw them, that Jesus saw these people who were harassed and helpless, I think of the harassed and helpless in my life. Like, I think about all of the people out there. The people in your life circle that you work with, you go to school with, that you uh, engage with in your restaurants and in your hobbies, and uh, like these are the places in your community that the people are just harassed, they feel helpless in this life, they're just barely getting by. That's one segment of, of how I see that. But then there's like this other thing that I've just been convicted of, that the reality and the acknowledgement that for some of you in this room and some of you who are watching with us online, you may be sitting in your seat feeling sympathetic towards these people who are harassed and helpless because it's exactly how you feel right now. It's how you feel. And for whatever reason, somehow you clicked on a link, you walked into this place, you made it to some seats, and you're just like, I am just barely getting by here. I feel like every time I turn around, I'm being harassed by the enemy, by life. I, don't, I, I just feel helpless. And I, I acknowledge that from the standpoint that sometimes it's easy for me to, to assume that, that that's not you and to assume that, that we've all got it figured out, we all love Jesus here, we're all going to just go and, and be on mission in our life circle. And for some, you're thinking, it's not that I don't want to, it's just I don't have the strength to. I need, I need healing. I need hope. I need, I need to stop being harassed by the enemy. I need people to come alongside me and pray with me and contend with me, like, like that's what I really need right now. And I just want to say I see you. I'm not Jesus. My wife will tell you that. <laughs> but I see you. And I recognize that, that maybe at times it feels like you're just trying to get by and there's no one that acknowledges it or sees you. And it may feel like you're just wandering aimlessly without a shepherd, without someone who actually cares. The second thing that Jesus does is he shows compassion, he shows compassion. He doesn't judge them for the fact that they that they're just barely making it. He doesn't get upset that they didn't have the the fortitude to withstand the harassment of the enemy or 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 the lack of knowledge to know that that he's their help in time of need. Like he doesn't he just has compassion on them. He cares about them. He loves them. He has an empathy towards them that actually moves him to action. I love the picture of Jesus in this because in his compassion, in his empathetic ways that only he can have. Like, like I I just, I I think if there's something that we can learn in how we live our life on mission, it's this area of Jesus' life where Jesus is just so empathetic, but yet he's also accountable. And what I mean by that is oftentimes we we kind of fall into one one or two one category or the other, where we're either super empathetic or we're super accountability and And I think that at times when we are going out and living our life on mission, we're in our life circle, there are times where if we are all empathy, if we just are so empathetic and, and we're just so grace-filled and so compassionate and so loving and so empathetic that, that, that we can almost even at times sympathize with people through their struggle because it's something that we struggle with and we never address the accountability portion of this. And what happens is we think out of, out of our love for them we we show empathy without accountability and in honesty that's not really love it's not it's it's yes you're compassionate yes you're gracious towards them but at the end of the day without that accountability they're going to continue continue to engage in things that are going to cause the, the 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 pain to continue but then there's like these people over here that are just all accountability. And and you know these people probably. These people stick out. They're a little harder to handle. Empathetic people are nice people. They're compassionate people. Accountability people can turn into judgmental people. And honestly, all accountability without empathy, you're just a jerk. Just what just is. And I, I have this picture, this beautiful picture of Jesus who's just all empathy and all accountability. When, when the woman's drug out into the street, who's caught in adultery, his empathy kicks in. And then his accountability, go and sin no more. Jesus modeled for us how we are to live our life on mission is to be people full of empathy but also accountability. The third thing is this, is that Jesus instructed his followers to pray. Among these helpless and harassed crowds, he saw an opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission. And he looks at his disciples and says, you guys should pray about that. You should maybe ask the Father and see what he thinks you should do. The scripture says it like this, and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. Part of the reason that prayer is such an important part of our life as a church is because without it, we don't have the tools necessary to live our life on mission. We gather every Thursday night for prayer unless there's like some threat of an ice storm, uh, which happened this last week. Uh, but we gather together and, and we uh, sp- spend the first five minutes in worship with our worship team. We pray over our worship team, pray over our tech team. We walk the building, we pray, and we pray over your prayer request. We, we cover this place in prayer. And we used to say that Sunday morning begins on Saturday morning because that's when we used to pray. But now we say Sunday morning begins Thursday night that that's when we really begin to contend and believe that God's going to move and work in our services on Sunday morning. And in fact, I just, as a shameless plug, I want you to know that, that Thursday nights are not just for the prayer team. Right? We have a, a group of people we've assigned to be available during our services, at the end of our services uh, for prayer. But if you're going through your week and you're struggling and you need prayer, Thursday night, show up, we'll pray for you, we'll anoint you with oil, we'll lay hands on you, we will pray and 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 I'm not talking just like um, you know dinner prayers, I'm talking pray, pray, <laughs> not pray, pray, uh, sometimes it feels that way, but Prayer is such an important part of who we are because if we are not asking Him to fill us, to give us His gifts, to, have, to, to get a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit for our life, what will happen when we leave here, when we go out into our life circle, we will find ourselves lacking. There are some who feel harassed and helpless, and maybe, maybe because you grew up in the church, maybe it's because you have heard about a church, you know somebody who goes to church, that it's possible that there are some here that are feeling harassed and helpless that somehow made it into the building, right? You walked down the, the flight of stairs, you, you went through the gauntlet of hellos and hugs, And you you somehow made it all the way into the room, into a chair. And you're like, I really hope that I can find help here. I really hope that I can stop finding myself harassed every single day. Because this life is hard and I'm barely making it. But for those of you who made it through all of that and made it into here, you are the exception to the rule. You don't, you're the minority. You don't represent the majority of our world. Even if you clicked on a link and you're watching us and you're still with us right now, you are in the minority. Most people in our life circle that are, who are being harassed and are feeling helpless, will never make it through these walls. They'll never come down. They'll never get a hug from Barb. They'll, ne- they'll never make it this far. And it's why Jesus said, when he gave us the mission, he didn't say, you know, gather and, and hopefully and invite he didn't say that. He didn't say gather and invite people in to the mission. No, he said go. Go. Be a people who, when when you walk out the doors of of the church, you you're living your life on mission. The problem is, and the well, maybe not problem, but the challenge is, is that. If we do that, if we actually take up that cause and we say, okay, God, I'm going to leave here. I'm going to be an ambassador for you. I am going to live my life on mission. It's going, You are going to face some challenges, some difficulties, and I want to just call them out and address them. The first is this. Most people that you'll come into contact with in your life circle They don't have a correct picture of God. And unfortunately, there are many people who maybe have gone to church their whole life who don't have a correct picture of God. They have a stereotype. They have a filter. They have a filter of God through through what they want God to be. They have a filter of God through someone who maybe has been a poor representation of God. And so what they've done is they've kind of lumped God into this this, uh, picture of, of people, of humanity, of sin. And so they just have this incorrect view of who God is. And even people with really good intentions... Can often be a poor reflection of God. One of the questions that came in first service, uh, just to give you permission to uh, send me your questions, is as we reflect who God is to others, how can we be sure that we have a correct view of God? What does that look like? Um, That's probably a whole message in and of itself, but The way that I answered in first service was I I answered towards the end, right before we were receiving communion, and I, I just said, well, that looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. Everything that we do, every step that we take ought to be in an effort to become more and more like Jesus. Jesus came to this earth fully God, fully man. If we want a picture of who God is, we look at Jesus. Scripture tells us that uh, uh, no better love than a man has than he lay his life down for a friend i 'm sure I just butchered that scripture, uh, but essentially that if you want to know what it looks like to love people to have a picture of God, Jesus went to the cross, he laid his life down so that we could live so we could experience forgiveness and salvation that That as a people, if we want to understand and have a correct picture of who God is in this world and a good reflection of him, be like Jesus. The second thing is this, is people need to be loved unconditionally. People are hurting. They're harassed. They're helpless. They just need to know that somebody loves them they just need to know that that somebody sees them there's there's people in your life that are hurting and broken there's people who are going through difficult circumstances that that are dealing with family members who have been diagnosed with something or maybe you have co-workers who have been diagnosed you have people who are struggling relationally you, your kids teachers who are Maybe going through a divorce or dealing with sickness. You have soccer parents and and all these people in our life that are hurting. They're just barely making it, and they just need to know that somebody sees them and loves them. And you can say, well, you don't know these people. I, I don't. I don't know your people. But I know my people. I know people in general. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? But we're called to love unconditionally. Sometimes we would rather just correct them, wouldn't we? It's like, well, you, you don't understand the person that I'm trying to reach. They have this bad view of God, and, and I feel like it's my job to correct that view. So the question for us is, as we live on mission, are we going to connect with them or are we going to correct them? Because, in my experience, when you try to correct, it's really hard to connect. Number three, most people will never walk through our doors. If I sound like a broken record, it's because I want to sound that way. We have to face this reality. Yes, there are opportunities for us to invite, but here's the thing is it shouldn't be our goal. It's not our goal to become a megachurch. And, and I say that in all sincerity. I don't mean there's anything wrong with a megachurch. I don't. I think that they have they serve their purpose and that purpose is healthy and good at times. Not all, but there's also small churches that are healthy at times. But our end goal isn't to get more people into this room. Our end goal is to get more people into the kingdom of God. That's our goal. Coming to church and sitting in a seat and clicking on a link, that's that's like down the road. That's that's so far down the road that it's like like we just want to connect with you. We want to tell you about Jesus. We want to love on you. And when people surrender their life to Christ, as you know, it's very difficult to walk that journey alone. It's then when people have given their life to Jesus and they're like, you need a faith community. And if that's here at LifeHouse, great. We would love to open our doors. You would love to, to include you in that. But if they live somewhere else, you got a family member, like help them find that. I love what Pastor Jay said about Maria and, uh, and helping this uh, woman find a church. It wasn't that she just gave her her Bible. She's like, you're not going to be able to do this alone. It's great that you gave your life to Christ, but, but now you get to walk with other people who are going the same direction you are. We need it, friends. We, we can't do this alone. Number four, most Christians are not intentional with people far from Jesus. This is one of the most convicting points that I have personally for me is that I wonder how many times I miss opportunities, divine moments, where the Lord just puts me in a situation or a circumstance and I just i am not intentional about it. I don't, I don't see the bigger picture. I get caught up and focused in my life and what 's going on in me. How many times have I sat next to somebody on an airplane and put my headphones on and, especially because they wanted to talk? <laughs> what, what are the moments in your life that that are these divine opportunities, these divine moments where you just you kind of know that man, I just missed it. What would it look like if as christians we were Intentional with people who are far from Jesus. Because if we're looking under the hood, if we're saying, listen, we got to be honest with ourselves, not only are we not intentional, we live our life oftentimes under the assumption that somebody else is going to tell them about Jesus. Right? If, if you're like me, and I, I know I'm being a little bit honest, maybe too honest this morning, but but there are times where I think, well, you know, I'm sure they have people in their life that are going to tell them about Jesus. That doesn't need to be my responsibility. But what if nobody does? What if I am that other person? If, if you bring your, your friend here and, and, and they're like, well, Pastor Ryan's going to tell him about Jesus. He's going to lead my friend to Jesus today. And I would say, what if I don't? Would you do it? Would you be willing to lead your friends, your family, your coworkers, your your classmates, the people that you hang out with in a restaurant, your favorite waiter, would you ever be willing to just talk to them about Jesus? Part of the reason that we don't is because we feel ill equipped to do it. Isn't that the truth? Most Christians need to be equipped. And honestly, as part of our role here as shepherds and teachers, as a staff, it is our job to help equip you. To equip you to do the work of the ministry. That is our primary role. We see it in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. It says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro back and forth by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. In other words, being harassed, rather speaking the truth in love and having empathy an accountability we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love i'm not saying that we have gotten this completely right over the years I'm not saying we will get it completely right moving forward, but I will say this, that we are constantly trying to look at, and especially recently looking at ways that best equip you to be people who live on mission, to fulfill what Ephesians talks about, of, of being people who are equipped to do the work of the ministry. Over the years, in an effort to equip, I think in some ways we have done a disservice to Christ followers. I say that as a pastor of a church, I believe in the church, I believe in the large gathering of the church, I believe that this is a part of our Christian faith and a part of our life circle. But unfortunately, what we've done is we have programmed people to death. Not just LifeHouse, but just the American church, is, is we've kind of spoon-fed every element of our Christianity to people through programs that oftentimes people have fallen into a place of atrophy. They don't even know how to exercise their evangelistic muscles in the world that we're a part of. And I am fully aware that I, I, like, kind of over the last 14 years have really built a lot of these programmings. But that's really not who I think we are. I don't think that's really what God's calling us to be. We program so much that we even program your community and your relationships They're called small groups. They're called life groups. They're called, I I don't know, they're called a lot of things, home groups. Whatever it is, it's a small group of people that often meet in a home, or they go through a Bible study, or they, whatever. Like, Like, do you realize that we have programmed that in such a way? You don't have to do anything but show up. And sign up. So think about this with me in the context of how this works in a program. We ask you to, we do a life group fair. And by the way, what I am saying does not negate anything good that has come in the past. But I'm letting you know how we're moving forward. We have you sign up for a life group, and, and you put your name on a list because you, you talk to somebody, and that person leading the life group seems like a nice enough person. They don't look like a serial killer, so you think that you're okay to go to their house. Other people do the same thing. And they sign up for that same life group. And maybe it's because it's a marriage group or because it's a Bible study or because it's a, a, a woman's group or a men's group. Like there's all these factors that play into our decision. One of them is do we think that these people who are leading the life group have a clean home that we're going to go sit in? So then we get a phone call or we get an email that says, congratulations, you are now in a life-giving community. So you show up for your first life group and you get into that house that you is unfamiliar to you with a bunch of people that you don't know. And now the expectation is that you are in relationship with these people and you are going to connect with them, do life together, so that when something happens in your life at 2 a.m., you can call these people, right? That's not really how life groups work. Oftentimes, and listen to me, there are plenty of churches that have really good life group programming. And I recognize that I am risking even saying this because if you came here hoping that we were going to launch life groups in February, you're going to be disappointed. Because oftentimes, in my experience, what life groups look like is you sign up on a list, you go to the house, you sit awkwardly with a bunch of people you don't know, And you discover that I don't really like these people. (laughs) And you're like, I don't think I'm coming back to the life group. Or you're like, well, I signed up for it. If you're one of those committed people, you'll be like, I signed up for it. It's only eight weeks. I'm going to go. And so you go and you spend a night out of your week that you don't have to go and be in a fake community with people that really aren't getting down to the core of what's going on in your life. Uh, this is not a church growth message today, just FYI. <laughs> but based upon your laughter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, yeah, some of you, some of you more than others. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be in a smaller community group. What I am saying is you need to take personal responsibility to be in a smaller community group. I'm saying that for you, if we are going to grow, this is going to be the best year spiritually for our life. We have to take the personal, and I'm not saying you, we, have to take personal responsibility and to be people who are seeking out and recognizing I need community in my life. And I don't know what that looks like. We had uh, one individual uh, who has led life groups in the past uh, sent me an email saying, hey, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm lining out like I'm starting a life group. And I said, that's fine, but we're not calling it a life group What we're calling it community. And you're taking that and you're inviting people to come and be a part of community in your life. And here's the beauty, I'm not gonna tell you who should come to your house. You go find those people. Get to know people. Connect with people on a Sunday morning. Come to a class. Get to know people in a class. That, that there's ways in which we want to provide more and more opportunity for you to get to know one another so that you can do life together. If you need curriculum, if you need help with something along those lines, we'll even fund some of that stuff. We're not gonna fund your childcare, but if you need help for you to find childcare and you need help because that's a financial burden, but you're like, man, I've got these people and I, we're doing life together and we're getting deep into the things of God and we are growing together as a community, we're gonna say, awesome, awesome. What can we do to support you? What can we do to invest in you? What can we do to help cover so it doesn't become a financial burden? Like, how can we as a church community take personal responsibility for our relationships and community and not expect the church to do it? Whew. As leaders, we can equip you with the knowledge that's necessary to be people who live on mission but ultimately what you need is not just knowledge, not just the right tools, not just the right curriculum. What you need is the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you, equip you, gift you with the things in order to be people who live on mission. Finally, number six, most Christians need to be empowered. And notice I didn't say encouraged. I think if all it took was a little encouragement, we would already be doing it. I think pastors encourage their churches a lot to do things that people just don't want to do or don't do or don't understand why they should do it. So I'm not encouraging you to do this. I'm empowering you to do it. And empowerment comes from an understanding that's bigger than just a program. It comes from the sense of God has ordained me individually, not as a collection, not as a church as lifehouse church he has ordained you to do the work of the ministry he has ordained me i think it's easier for you to see that with me because it's like i'm i have a platform and a pulpit and a message and a degree and all that it's like of course god's ordained you no he's ordained all of us we were all priests to be people who are living on mission and carrying the message of Jesus, not just here in this room, but into our life circle. The moment that we make lifehouse about what takes place just in these walls or just in these programs is the moment that we resign ourselves to just be a bunch of birds in a cage. What do I mean by that? Well, I think at times we can program something and we can build a gilded cage that allows you to fly in in the midst of that under these certain circumstances. And I never really fully understand birds as a pet. Uh, I, I get a dog because, you know, they they love you, they care about you. I don't understand cats, but I get that cats... Are a part of that equation as well. But birds are just birds. Like they, they just chirp and they, they don't love you. They just, I don't think. I've never owned a bird, so I don't know. I probably need to move on from this because there's probably bird lovers in here. <laughs> but they're like, I've seen them in a cage. And I'm, I'm going like this because, honestly, I've never seen a gilded cage that's rounded at the top. I've only seen the, the square ones, and, and it's usually some, like, parakeet or canary or, uh, you know, something that you can get, get your bird to say inappropriate things back or something along those lines, and it's funny and it becomes a, a joke. And, but, but I just don't understand it. I know this. I know that it's not their natural habitat, I know know that being in a cage like that is not how things were intended to be when they were born out of an egg. We can build cages that are safe and secure and programmed and you can fly around and be on a dream team and serve and come to classes and do all of this, but if we keep the cage here, it's not what you were intended to do. It's not the only thing you were intended to do. You were intended to fly. And not just within this cage, you were intended to go and fly. See, sometimes when we release the birds to fly, we discover that we don't just have canaries, we actually have eagles that are willing to go and be people who are so on mission I have a theory, and again, this is not in my notes, so I'm going to be in trouble probably, but it just dawned on me that maybe one of the reasons why we build our cages, why, why preachers and pastors build their cages, and, and they, they make them beautiful, and they put a little water, and they put that, what is that thing that they like sharpen their beaks on? They, they, they put all of the things in the cage, and they make it beautiful, because we don't want you to leave the cage. Because if you leave the cage and you become an eagle, I just look like a canary. And so in our insecurities, in our fears, we build our cages instead of releasing people to go and live their life on mission. First service, I used an illustration. I had to admit that it was at an all-inclusive in Cancun. Uh, But it it was... uh, there was a woman that was walking around. She had a big leather, leather arm piece on, and, and she had a hawk that was sitting on her, on her arm, and, and she would uh, release the hawk to go, and, and it would scare off the, these uh, other birds, these nuisance lame birds uh, that were trying to eat people's food, and, and it would scare them off, but, but the hawk would always come back to the arm. It would always come back and rest right there on the arm. You know why? Because he knew he was going to get fed. He knew he was going to get something of a treat from from the owner there that was going to give it to them. I just think as a pastor, I know we're supposed to be sheep and shepherds here, but what if we just flip the script a little bit and say, what if really what we're called to do is to be people who go, not scare people off, but we go... We pour our heart out and we pour our life out into our life circle and we share with people about Jesus and we talk about the kingdom of God. We talk about the transformational work that he's done in our life in every aspect, but we come back. And we come back not because I'm going to be able to feed you, but but the one who can will We gather together and we worship our king, we get empowered, we get equipped, we get filled with his Holy Spirit so that we can do it again. Matthew chapter 5 says that you are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl or put it in a cage. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I need to wrap up here. Um, part of the reason we don't go and, and share Jesus with people is because we don't know how. We don't know how. And I think when I, I look back over 15 years, and I don't know that there's ever been a message. I, got, I preached a lot of messages over 15 years. I don't know that there was ever one message in which I preached where I taught people some very practical things to do to lead somebody to Jesus. Instead, I assume that you already knew this. But I would guess that the majority of us have never done that, have never led someone to Jesus, have never walked someone through a process where they have surrendered their life to Jesus. And there are, I'm sure, many who have. And so I'm not... I'm not just making a blanket statement here, but I, I would guess that many have not. And it's because you're just waiting for somebody to tell you how. Now, the thought of that is overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, the thought of going and leading someone into a salvation relationship with Christ, oh my goodness. You're like, Where do I even begin? All of my friends are far from Jesus. How do I even begin to do that? And. I just want to teach you a little bit about the rule of five. The the rule of five says that if I tell you to go and cut down an oak tree and hand you an axe to do that, that it's going to take you a long time, a lot of energy, and be very difficult to cut that hardwood oak tree down. But if I give you permission and empower you to just say, listen, there's no timeline on this. I think, actually, if you just take that ax and hit that thing five times every single day. It may be a week, it may be a month, it might be five years. But I know if you hit an oak tree with an ax five times a day, every single day, that tree is coming down. It is. No, if I hand you a bat and say, uh, a baseball bat and say, go hit that thing five times every day, all you're going to be left with is bruised hands and a bruised tree. It's not coming down. So I- I'm mindful of the fact that you have to have the right tools to do this, but, but you don't have to do it all tomorrow. Like, just begin to make some effort and some steps towards being people who are living their life on mission. Let me give you five things that we can do. The first one is this. We connect and care for those who are far from Jesus. Not correct. We connect and we care about those who are far from Jesus. Number two, we pray for an opportunity to share our faith, right? Like we, we actually go to prayer and say, God, would you give me the opportunity? Would you create a divine moment for me to share with so-and-so about who you are and what you've done in my life? Number three, we intentionally drop God thoughts, this is a great great example of this last week in our newcomers, we were going around the room and we were sharing about our faith journey and and church experience and some of that and one of the, one of the gals in the room she was talking about how uh, she got reconnected to Christ and it was uh, through a friend she was far she was far from Jesus, but her friend was uh, was walking with jesus and and, uh, and every time they were together, this friend, they, they, would, uh, they would find parking in, a sh- in the shade. And she'd be like, God, thank you. Thank you for shade today. And, and then it was something else and something else and something else. And eventually this person was like, okay, I want that. I may have been hurt in the past by other things, but I want what that is. That seems genuine to me. Just dropping these little God thoughts every time you have the chance. Number four, we add value to others. We are not leeches. We don't suck the life out of people. Christ followers are people who are generous, who give. Just as God has given to us, we give to others. We are people who add value to others. And then we strategically work on our life circle. And when all of that has taken place, when you have been just kind of whacking away, you have this beautiful opportunity to tell people Not what you don't know, but you tell them what you do know. And what you do know, if you're a Christ follower, is you've experienced God's grace and forgiveness in your life. That you've experienced a a transformational work so much so that the person that you used to be is no longer around. You are now a new creation. You tell people that you now live your life full of hope, not because of the circumstances of the world, but because of what God's done in your life, because of who he is in his character. You model for people what it is to be a Christian and to have a a good view of who God is. You model it by being like Jesus, and then you simply ask, are you interested in that? Not all of the church. I'm not asking you to come to church. I'm not asking you to give up all of these things and somehow try to correct them and get them from, from transformation to glory in two days. I'm just saying, are you interested in the journey with Jesus? And then you pray for him. You say, can I pray for you? Would you like to receive Christ today? I'd just like to pray for you. And you can even ask him, you know what? If you don't have the words, like, it's okay. I've been there. I understand that. Let me just help you a little bit with the words. And it really begins with surrender. God, I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. Scripture is very clear that we are saved by grace, through faith, not of anything else that we can do. So if they have faith, and they've surrendered their life to him as God, as Lord of their life, they are saved. And their journey begins. Let's pray.